Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Welcome this morning. Uh, I realized something in preparing for this sermon this week. Uh, I, I think that if I were a part of, you know, like... Uh, well, I guess I should say I, I get a little keyed up sometimes. And uh, I realized that if I were a part of some sort of gang, like uh, 1920s Irish street thugs or like 50s mobsters or even like an intergalactic gang of smugglers or something like that, I would be that guy that when you walk into like this situation, uh, you have like a little pregame meeting and you're all sitting there and you're talking with each other and you're like, okay, so this is a pretty easy run. This is a nice job. If we can just all keep our heads, then everything will be okay. And then you have that one guy, and I, I think it's me. That's what I'm worried about, who like comes in, walks into this meeting and is like, yeah, 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 I'll keep it cool. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And then all of a sudden you get in there and there's that guy on the other side that's looking at you kind of funny, that guy on the other side that maybe talks trash about you and your gang, right? Uh, I'm speaking from a lot of gang experience that I clearly have, but he's like talking smack about you, and I know I am the guy that like fires the first shot, and then everything goes crazy, and we all end up dying. Like, that is just me. I feel it. In fact, it's the primary reason why I've decided not to join a gang. It's really the only one, I think, because I know once I got into that situation, stuff would just go crazy, and I would lose it, and everyone would die because of it. Now, uh, that's probably the worst intro in the world to say. I feel like this is exactly what happened with Peter, right? He's sitting there. He's hanging out with Jesus. Uh, he, Jesus has just given them uh, three beautiful chapters of him telling them all the stuff that's going to happen after he dies. He even prays for them. Then they go and they hang out in this garden. I'm picturing a very like tranquil, peaceful moment. These other guys walk up. They say, hey, uh, are you Jesus? And he says, or uh, Jesus says, yeah, it's me. Do what you came to do. And they get scared. They actually, uh, it's kind of a weird moment that you see there in the text. Uh, it says, like, uh, who, Jesus asks them, who do you seek? He says, I am Jesus. And then uh, they sort of draw back and fall to the ground, which sounds like a very musical thing to do, right? Like, they walk up, and they're like, who are you? And they're like, Jesus. And they're like, aha, right? And they all sort of splash back and fall on the ground. Uh, but Peter, getting all jazzed up that these people are about to take Jesus, being all like keyed up, suddenly pulls a sword out from who knows where and chops off a guy's ear. Now I want you to like uh, just take a brief moment and consider the oddness of this entire scenario. That Peter, after having hung out with Jesus for so long, after having traveled around with Jesus for at least or around three years, uh, when he's in this moment that Jesus has been telling them is coming, you know, for the entire time saying like, hey, uh, this is what's coming next. Peter, in that moment, thinks it is appropriate and maybe even wisest for him to bust out a sword and begin this huge fight, I think. Like, what was he thinking was going to happen? I mean, I'm sure he wasn't only planning to chop this one guy's ear off and then just sort of everybody walks away happy. They're like, ah, look out, that guy's going to chop off your ear. I guess we'll just leave this Jesus guy. No, I think he was expecting for this massive fight to break out. 
which is, in fact, uh, not an unreasonable expectation from him. In fact, a lot of people were looking to Jesus to be like this warrior king who was going to come in and conquer uh, the Roman government. And if you look at the history of the time, 40 years before Jesus was born and then around 40 years after he died, there were actually two separate revolutions where Jewish people following uh, one Jewish man who was sort of a teacher slash rabbi actually rose up and tried to overthrow the government. This area during this time in history was ripe for a revolution. They were ready for a fight. Sort of the powder keg was already primed and ready to go. So it's not crazy if you're looking at it historically for Peter to think, hey, I'm going to take the first blow. I'm going to, you know, chop off the ear heard round the world. I don't know if that really works out as like a, no, not good. Okay. Uh, anyway, I thought it was good. That was, I worked the longest on that for the entire sermon, actually. I thought it was perfect. So uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, Peter chops off this one ear and just thinks that like now the revolution is about to happen. Now we are finally about to uh, become the military force that I'm assuming we are going to become. And Jesus looks at him as if he is crazy and says to him, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given to me? It's interesting here that he's sort of like, I, I, you know, we don't get much context there, but I get the sense that Jesus is looking at Peter thinking like, what in the world are you doing? Do you even know who I am? Like, clearly I have this task from God that I'm going to do and this is a part of it and you think you're going to stop or change that by chopping off this guy's ear? Incidentally, there's actually a few different depictions of this scene in the, the Gospels. So it's in every Gospel story, but uh, people use different details. And I know that makes us a little leery, right? Like we hear the, like two different stories are telling the same thing, but I don't think this is anything to worry about. You can actually see a pretty consistent and even story through all, three, or all four Gospel accounts. Uh, John doesn't include that Jesus was in agony, none of the like sweating blood or anything like that. Uh, and no one else includes the scene where like people walk up and then they hear about Jesus and then they fall back. John's the only one to write about that. In other versions, interestingly enough, uh, mention that there was a kiss from Judas. Uh, but this one, we, Judas is kind of taking a backstory to this. Uh, John really focuses pretty heavily, heavily on like the Roman soldiers, saying like uh, Rome, not just local authorities, not just this one backstabbing guy, but Rome, in effect, was coming to take Jesus away. And so he's sort of uh, going out of his way. That combined with like the falling back of the people to show the majesty of who Jesus is. Now, remember, we've talked a lot a lot, a lot about John. I feel like John has become like this uh, weird, you know, uh, brother from another century, if you will. That one wasn't as good as the ear one. I'm sorry about that. I'll just stop with the jokes today. Anyway, John uh, was a guy who loved Jesus so much. In fact, so much that throughout his entire book, he writes of himself and whatever he refers to himself as one of the 12 disciples, he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. In fact, his primary identity becomes someone who is loved by Jesus. And so now the distinctives that we see in this scene is he's saying, Jesus is so amazing. Look at what he can do. He's taking, he's standing up to Rome and even they are afraid of him. He doesn't focus on that painful scene of him like, you know, sweating blood and uh, sort of crying out to the father. He focuses instead on Jesus uh, being prepared for what was coming. And we actually see sort of both sides of that coin through the other gospel story. But this is what John chooses to focus on. And then John is also the one who focuses primarily on Jesus healing the man who had his ear cut off. 
And that's pretty interesting, I think, because it shows uh, that to John, Jesus was pure humanity. In fact, it's sort of like a, uh, a, a foil to Peter and his whole plan. Peter's like, I've got a great idea. What I'm going to do is bust out my sword. And the other disciples are like, wait, are we carrying swords now? Is this a thing? Like, I didn't even know this was happening. Jesus, uh, Peter busts out his sword, chops off this guy's ear. I'm starting the revolution. Jesus does the exact opposite. He says, hey, here's this guy that is my enemy and one of my followers actually in my name tried to sort of, you know, end his life, tried to take him out. And instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make up for that and I'm going to heal this man of his ear. It's almost like a a humorous situation, right? The guy's ear gets chopped off. And Jesus just sort of like slaps it back on and then chastises Peter for doing this. And I think it actually tells us something uh, pretty powerful and pretty important for our lives. <clears throat> you see, all this time that Jesus has been hanging out with Peter, he's been showing him a new way to live. He's been showing him the way of love. He's been showing him uh, this new kingdom life that Peter is supposed to live. And never, not once, do you see uh, any scene where Jesus is like, and we're going to have to get violent, we're going to have to chop off all their ears, and we're going to have to kill them. This is not anything that he has taught Peter. And yet, after hanging out with him for around three years, Peter, in this terrifying and kind of odd situation, defaults back to what he, what he knows, right? He's seen Jesus heal people. He's seen Jesus walk on water. He's actually walked on water himself. And then in this moment, when he's worried that his friend is going to get taken away, when he's worried that his master is going to get taken away, he has this moment in his, in his mind where he's thinking to himself, what can I do to fix this? He doesn't think maybe I should pray to the Father. He doesn't even think maybe I should, uh, you know, try and perform some sort of miracle. He doesn't think maybe I should talk to them the way that Jesus always talked to his enemies. Uh, He's not thinking any of those things. He thinks, you know what I can do is I have a sword and the ability to use it, and so I'm going to take this into my own hands. We have to realize this is futile too, right? I mean, Peter against the entire Roman army, it was never going to work out. That was not going to be good. In fact, those other two revolutions that I mentioned earlier did not end well for the Jewish people, right? Rome continued to win. That was not a good thing, and it wouldn't have been good for Peter either. Here's the point. In fear, we default to what we think we can control. We're always going to default to what we think that we can control whenever we get so scared like Peter was, Peter was in this story. He was so terrified that he thought, well, I don't know if this is going to work, but it is something that I can do. It's something that I can control. It's something that I have a lot of ownership over, so I'm just going to lean into it and give it a shot. I used to work at a summer camp back in the day, and uh, one of my favorite things was running the low ropes course, mostly because it was shady, and you would just sort of hang out and uh, watch kids fall. That's pretty fun. So uh, one of the best things was a trust fall, and uh, some of you guys may have done this. You stand sort of backwards on this, like, six-foot-tall platform, 
And then you have all of your friends or coworkers or whatever it is uh, stand beneath you and they stick out their arms and they catch you as you fall back. Uh, there's one really big and important instruction and that's you have to like, you know, sort of fold your hands over like a mummy. And uh, that's really important because the really the only dangerous thing about a trust fall is the person who's falling, right? Like the person who's falling is really worried about it and they're like, oh, snap, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. This is so scary. I don't know about this. But really uh, the bigger threat is to the people who are down there catching because the person who's falling has a lot of potential to do a lot of damage. I would always watch and, you know, I go through all the instructions and I'm standing up there on the platform and sort of, uh, you know, watching the whole thing go down and you'd say like, you know, three, two, one, or, or falling and everyone would say fall on or something like that and then you catch them and then, uh, you know, uh, most of the time I would, the, for the first person at least, or maybe even the third, if I let them get comfortable first, I would say, wait, hold on, like mid-fall, which is always really awesome, just watching their face. But what's amazing is <clears throat> you're falling, you're doing it straight up backflop style onto like, you know, six feet below you. Your head is starting, I guess if you're six feet tall, like 12 feet up in the air, and you're falling backflop, and mid-fall... You have this weird gut reaction to think, oh, no, I'm falling, which is reasonable. And then the, the, the sort of response then is, how can I catch myself? And so these arms that are supposed to be staying mummy style start flailing. You start, like, you know, breaking noses with your elbow. Uh, you start freaking out. You're poking people in the eye. It's like bad news. And that's how people end up getting hurt on a, like, uh, trust fall kind of situation. Not from falling to the ground, which very rarely happens. I'm not sure if I ever saw it but from actually flailing and freaking out mid-fall. Now think about this. When you're falling through the air 12 feet, uh, sort of backflop style onto the ground, if you could catch yourself with your hands, is that going to work out well? No. You're going to break a wrist. You're going to break an elbow. It's going to be bad news. And yet, mid-fall, that's what we default to. That's what we try and do. We try and figure out something that we can control. We try and just take whatever we can into our own hands, even if it's not going to work out very well for us. Now, here's the point. When we get scared, we're always going to try to do that. It's a natural human response. Think about when you're spinning out on the snow or something. What's your natural human response? You try and yank the wheel the other way, and you slam on the brakes, even though you know that is not the best uh, way to get out of that. It's why people tense up when they get a shot. They know they're about to get poked by a needle, and their only response is, like, I've got to, like, sort of bolster myself, strengthen myself. It's why people try and hide from the TV when they're watching something scary. That doesn't make any sense. And yet, that's, like, the only thing you can do to control yourself. Uh, Evie and I have loved watching this, like, show DuckTales. I may have talked about it before. Maybe I'm too hung up on DuckTales up here. How weird would that be if you had to complain to your pastor? Like, you're talking too much about DuckTales. It's amazing, though. She loves watching the show, and just with little, like, you know, crazy cartoon villains is spending half the show like peeking out from under her hands. And I'm like, it's in the TV. It really can't hurt you. But it's a natural human response. It's also why when guys ask girls out, they say something stupid. Because it's scary, right? And you know what you can do and you can say something stupid. It's a power that we have as guys. And so you switch into what you can control when things are scary. Now, all those are really stupid ideas. But here's why it's relevant to your Christian life. The world is always, always scary. The world is always going to be scary. There's always these fears, and, you know, they don't always manifest themselves like the villains on DuckTales, but uh, they manifest themselves in different ways. How am I going to pay my bills this week? Who's going to be president? 
Is there some sort of scary disease coming? Am I ever going to get married? Am I ever going to marry the right person? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing with my life? And here's what I've noticed. Nine times out of ten, instead of trusting Jesus with those things, instead of actually expecting him to be who he says he's going to be, we default to what we can control. We inevitably slip back into patterns and try and take control over what we can take control over. Think about this. When life gets busy, when life gets chaotic, when all kinds of things are happening in your life, what ends up being like the, the time saver that you work into your life to make sure that you can you know, accomplish what you're trying to accomplish? For me, it's a, lot of t- a lot of times it is my time with Jesus that gets sacrificed very first whenever I get too busy. Whenever I get scared that life is becoming too much for me, whenever I get worried that I'm not going to be able to accomplish everything that I'm, I need to accomplish, I start thinking to myself, do I really need to be a part of community right now? I could just skip out on that and take care of something else that I need to. Do I really need to spend time with Jesus every morning, or do I need to jump right into my day and get started working? And it's crazy, right? Because I can sit here and tell you right now, not being in the middle of that season, not being in the middle of that time, that Jesus can do so much more so much more than I could ever ask or imagine, so much more than ever I could accomplish in my life. And yet it seems like the kingdom life he has called me to live is the first thing that gets sacrificed whenever I get stressed out. We very often consciously or subconsciously uh, sort of take stock of our lives. We look at all of the things that, you know, we feel like we can move or we can't move, and we say, well, my job is fixed, and, you know, my family is fixed, and what, what, what's fluid? What can I shift? What can I move around? And inevitably, what ends up happening is our time with Jesus ends up falling first. Instead of trusting in him to take care of uh, a busier schedule than we can actually manage ourselves, instead of trusting in him to live the kingdom lifestyle he has called us to live, we instead step up and try and cut the ear off of our situation. We take out our sword and we say, I can fix this. I know how to take care of this. If you're listening to God, if he's really, really, truly guiding your life and you are offering your life to him, he has a plan that involves you with natural rhythms in your life, natural, healthy structures in your life of time with him, of time with others who are following after him. We don't have to take the sword and take it into our own hands. Think about this. This is other times as I was just thinking through uh, ways in which we try and sort of uh, cut the ear off of the situation. Cut the ear off when we aren't patient for his timing in our life. When we're looking to God and saying, this is supposed to be happening now. I know when this should happen. We cut the ear off a situation when we try and shortcut doing things for him instead of doing life with him. We're saying, oh, if I just work enough for God, that'll be just as good as being with God. We try and cut the ear off when we try and achieve results for God without using the means of God, without doing things His way. 
when we try and do something for God our own way. I want you to think really hard right now uh, because none of this really matters if it's just, you know, me up here talking randomly probably about DuckTales for, you know, 20 minutes. Uh, none of this matters if you can't actually apply it into your own life, if you can't uh, think to yourself, in what way am I actually doing this? What are you afraid of right now? What is, like, causing you fear and anxiety, maybe even in this very moment? What's that thing uh, that you have, like, you know, had a little bit of reprieve from because you, you came here, we're able to worship and sing songs about God, we're able to uh, be in community with others and see our friends and connect with them and stuff like that? What's that thing, though, that the second you walk back out of this room is going to be weighing heavily upon your mind? Maybe it's something at work that's not going the way that you want it to. Maybe you just have no idea what is actually coming next in your life. Uh, maybe you're looking at your entire life and saying, like, God, I, I, I have no idea what the plan is, what you want me to do. Maybe it's some relationship that isn't really working out. It's just not what you feel like it should be. Maybe it's a relationship that you don't even have right now that you really, really want, that you're craving in your life. Maybe a friendship. Maybe a relationship. There's a temptation in each and every one of those scenarios, in whatever it is that is causing you fear, to try and find a solution that you can control. To take out your sword, to try and just handle it yourself, to try and control it, to try to own it try and fix it yourself. I believe Jesus is saying to you right now, put the sword away. I'm the one that can take care of this. I'm the one who can fix this. I'm the one that you need to be leaning on more when you're afraid, not less. I'm the one that can make this right. See, for Jesus, the ends never justify the means. For Jesus, he's not wanting us to be a part of some sort of revelation that involves cutting people's ears off. This was not a part of the plan for Jesus. Uh, that's why I think he reacts to Peter the way that he does and why he actually restores this guy's ear. But all too often for us, we look at the target, we look at the goal, we look at the, the, the end line. And we just think whatever we can do to get there, whatever we can do to make it to the next step, whatever we can do to accomplish this or get past this season, get through this, get uh, past this fearful and hard situation. But for Jesus, that's not how it works. For Jesus, the ends don't justify the means. No, for Jesus the very same restoring power uh, that he used to actually heal a man who had just had his ear cut off is the very same restoring power that he wants to use in your life, that he wants to use through your life, that he wants to put to work to restore the entire universe to back how it is supposed to be. That is the means of Jesus. And here's what's really great. If you're actually sitting there thinking through maybe a fear that you've had, maybe something that you've had for a long time, and you're actually saying, oh man, this is the way I have tried to fix it. This is the sword that I have taken out to try and uh, remedy my own situation, to try and get myself out of a jam. The great thing is that same restorative power that healed the man who had just had his ear cut off is the same restorative power that Jesus can use in your life. 
There's no relationship that's too broken for Jesus to heal. There's no situation uh, that is more powerful than he is. There's no hardship or fear or concern that you might have that Jesus is not stronger than. Jesus has that power. He has that power to bring back, to restore things that were broken. And the irony of us trying to fix our own situations is that the very situation that is impossible for us is easy and simple for Jesus. It is something that he can take care of and that only he was ever meant to take care of. This was what he was always meant to do. So my final word to you is put away your sword. Trust in God. Trust in who he is. Trust in his restorative power that is going to work in and through your life to bring about all things for his good and for his glory. Would you guys pray with me? Dear God, we thank you. And we thank you that you are in control and not us. God, we thank you that you are the one who has the power to restore, who has the plan for the universe, who has the the means to accomplish it, God, and we don't have to take it into our own hands. God, because it is already well within your mighty hands and well within your plan. God, help us to uh, understand or at least have faith and trust in you even when we don't understand, God. Help us to actively avoid using our own means and methods to fix the problems that you were meant to solve. We love you. We thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.